So what we're looking at is uh, dispensational premillennialism. Okay, I know it's a, a lot to to say, but there's not another way of saying it, really. Remember, what I'm doing is I'm putting forward to you in this, well, last week and then in this um, first part of tonight, uh, the dispensational premillennial view, although I'm not much on dispensations, as I've said before. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, when I say that, it doesn't mean that I'm against dispensations. It just means I'm not, I don't think they're very key. I don't think they drive anything. Okay? That's the key. I don't, they don't drive anything. Um, they're descriptive. And sometimes they're not even very good descriptions, as I think I've, I've pointed out in previous lessons. What, what are they describing? Nothing really. You know, I mean, they're, they're kind of loose and, you know, conscience. Is that a description of a whole dispensation, a whole age? Um, you know, government, is that a, is that a, it's, you know, these aren't, these are really not very helpful terms, I don't think. Uh, church, you know, that, that is more helpful, I think. You, you understand that. Law, the mosaic law, I think we can get that, but again, problems with, well, that's only given to, to Israel. So, I don't know if, if any of these things are, are that key. Um, they're good to know, but then you're not much wiser actually for knowing them, quite honestly. It's like the tribulation. I mean, the tribulation that we're dealing with, uh, well, we were dealing with last week, that's ne- often not even included as a dispensation, yet it clearly is a dispensation. <laughs> um, so, anyway. Let's run through this really quickly. In the view, you have the cross, you have the resurrection of of Jesus and the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. Then you have, of course, the period that we've got so far, which has been roughly 2,000 years, and that ends in an apostasy of the church. After the apostasy of the church, and we don't know what that apostasy is, but it will be notable. It will be a notable falling away from the truth uh, in the church. Okay, And one of the issues, one of the problems with the identification of this is that the church is now basically worldwide. So we need to be a little cautious about identifying this apostasy, okay? Is it true that if the American church, evangelical church, apostatizes, <laughs> I say if, um, <clears throat> if that's true, does that mean we should expect the, you know, the end times to just kick in there? Well, what about what's happening in other parts of the world? Do you see? Um, I think that that we, it's difficult to understand that, but I, I think that if we're going to, um, if, if we're going to, to look for this apostasy here uh, of the church, which I believe is the falling away from doctrine, uh, then I think it's going to be marked 
everywhere where evangelical Christianity claims to be. And I think that we're in that situation basically now. Okay, I do. But we're, we're rapidly approaching it. That doesn't mean people aren't getting saved. There can be an apostasy within the church and, and God can still be saving people in it, like Iran and India and Africa and places like that. Um, but he's not, they're not being saved to good, solid doctrine, unfortunately. Um, but again, I, I don't know whether we're close to it. I, I just think that, yeah, we could say that the church is in a pretty poor condition. Uh, I would even say that, that in America, um, the evangelical churches generally, not all of them, because always, there, there are always churches that are not in this category. Uh, but, but generally, they're in a very poor state. Uh, indeed, when it comes to doctrine and, the, and understanding of, of the truth of Christianity. And I think it's going to get a lot worse in America. I think it's going to get a lot worse. Um, in the next five, ten years, I think the, the evangelical church will be almost unrecognizable in America, unfortunately. That's my doomsayer thing for the night, all right? Okay, so anyway, there's going to be a falling away. Then, uh, I believe the rapture will happen then, but it's a rapture question mark, because I don't know, and we'll deal with, we'll have a whole lesson about the rapture, but I believe in a pre-trib rapture for theological reasons. And then, the church will be at the judgment seat of Christ, and at some point, uh, the tribulation starts, probably soon after that. And there's the revealing of the man of sin, Second Thessalonians Chapter 2 talks about that, the falling away and then the man of sin is revealed. Do you see? So that kind of happens about the same time because I believe that the man of sin, uh, you know, who is the Antichrist, that uh, he, he seems to come on the scene at the, uh, fir- uh, the first part of the seven-year tribulation. Okay, I believe that you'll have the rapture and then you'll have the tribula- going into the tribulation because of this marker here, the man of sin revealing after the apostasy. Does that make sense? Okay, this is also what Jesus calls the beginning of sorrows in the early part of Matthew 24. Okay, uh, so that's the start of the tribulation. Now, the, for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, um, you have the things that you find in um, Matthew 24, the first part of it, and also the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Re- uh, Revelation chapter 6. Okay, So a lot of bad stuff is happening there. A lot of bad stuff. Um, that's for, for three and a half years. During that time also, the uh, man of sin makes a covenant... I believe he's the prince in Daniel 9, the prince who shall come. Um, he makes a covenant with Israel so that they can rebuild their temple. Yeah? So that there are, there's a new temple and there's new sacrifices and stuff going on in this three and a half year period uh, here. Now, at the three and a half year point, 
according to Daniel 9, the, uh, the man of sin, the Antichrist, the prince of come, he breaks the seven-year covenant that he's made with Israel. Okay? He breaks it. And he stops the sacrifices and the oblations happening in the temple. Yeah? And Paul speaks about that also in Second Thessalonians 2. Um, and uh, the reason that he does that, it appears, is that it coincides with Satan being cast down completely, losing the war in heaven with Michael and the archangels. Michael, the archangel and the, and the angels, sorry, um, in Revelation 12. And he is cast down for good. Okay, He's cast down to the earth for good at that point. And at that point, the dragon being cast down, he's angry. He knows he's, he's got a, a short time. He turns against Israel. And that's when the Great Tribulation starts. Okay? Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus warns about, particularly in the second part of Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Uh, the abomination of desolation here is, is uh, set up at this point by the Antichrist. And we looked at that in Revelation 13 last time. Jesus spoke about it. And it's spoken about in Daniel chapter 12. Alright? It is something that is set up. That's very important, okay? It's something that's actually set up like on a pedestal or something. Um, during this time, there's a preaching going on, uh, which I believe is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And we saw that. I'm not going to go through all of the, the scriptures that we did last week. And this gospel of the kingdom is basically the, the gospel that Jesus and John the Baptist were preaching and also the disciples in uh, Matthew 10. Okay, It is not Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Okay, It is that, that Jesus is the Messiah or the Messiah is coming. Okay, Expect him, he's coming. That's the that's what's going on. It's probably the 144,000 Jews that are preaching this, but other people will probably be preaching it as well. Um, this time period, this this seven-year time period, is, we're basically calling it the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble in uh, in uh, Jeremiah 30, verse seven, and uh, you know it has uh, other. Uh, other names uh, it's referred to uh, also in Dan- Daniel 12 and of course uh, the Olivet Discourse so that's that part in the second half of the tribulation then you get the the, uh, the Antichrist turning against all of the saints and you have the imposition of the mark of the beast or the number of his mark and so on, you also have uh, people taking sides, really strong sides. You're either pro, you're for the the beast, you know, the the antichrist, um, the man of sin is all the same person. You're either on his side and you take the number of the mark, yes, <coughs> or you don't. Those that don't are going to pursue, be pursued to death. 
Okay, some of them will escape. Some of them will endure to the end. Matthew 24:13. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Okay, that's what I believe Jesus is talking to there. Um, he's talking about not not only will they come through um, physically with their lives. That's that would be a tautology, saying if you get through it, you get through it, you know. Um, but they'll be saved to go into the kingdom. That's what, what that means, okay? So not everybody uh, who doesn't take the mark of the beast uh, will be killed, but many of them will, okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So I put Antichrist here. It's the same guy as the man of sin, but he's manifested now as uh, he raises from the dead. Uh, and um, all, all the people worship him at this point. Um, second coming, Jesus comes back, and it's a pretty obvious thing that he comes back. All right, Jesus said, "Don't you know, if they say if he's next door and." In the room next door, that's not the kind of second coming that Jesus has announced, so they don't even bother going next door, okay? <clears throat> All right. Um, now, this is, a, this is kind of a, a, a basic overview, although we spent an hour and a half or so on this last time, okay? Um, also, during this time, you get awful things happening which are, are judgments. Uh, they're judgments of God and they intensify as you go through and so you get uh, the trumpet judgments intensify Uh, then you get the bowl judgments now the bowl judgments which are in Revelation 16 these things are so intense that they probably have to happen just before the second coming maybe a year at most before the second coming Okay, so things are really getting bad on earth but Here's something that's interesting. Um, it appears that there is at least one place on earth that's doing all right, thank you very much. And that's Babylon. Okay? Babylon seems to be doing all right during this period. Now, uh, we said a little bit about Babylon. I'm going to say something now, uh, a little bit more about it. It appears... As though, what colour shall we do? Babylon. Um, I'm not sure. We'll do red. So it appears as though Babylon, we'll throw it in here just to make it more confusing, is going to be rebuilt. And it's going to be the. the, the city in the world. It's going to be the Antichrist city. It's going to be the, the big uh, city in the world. Which means that uh, if, this is, if this is correct, it means that the, there's going to be a power shift from the West to the Middle East. Okay? And uh, the place that everyone kind of wants to hang out, the cool place is going to be Babylon. Um, now, there's lots of people that, that poo-poo this and don't think it's, it's feasible or doable. After all, Iraq 
you know, look what it's just been through. And uh, who would want to rebuild Babylon? You'd be surprised how many people want to rebuild Babylon. You'd be surprised with the lure that it has over people. And, of course, you know that they uh, already, they, they did a lot of rebuilding of it. So there's quite a lot of it been rebuilt. And uh, Iraq itself, interestingly, is sitting on some of the largest oil reserves in the world. Possibly the largest. And so if they could just get the government in order, they would have all of this money, all of this uh, oil money, you see. So they'd have plenty of money. Uh, it's perfect, I believe it's perfectly possible that Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Let's turn to the book of Revelation and just look at this, uh, this quickly. It's not, it's not a slam dunk, okay? I will tell you this. It's not a slam dunk. And it's possible that, um, it's, it's, uh, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. It's possible that the mystery Babylon and the Babylon of chapter 18 uh, are different. I'm not persuaded that they are different, but it's possible. Okay, Possible that the mystery Babylon of chapter 17 is a system that comes out of Babylon. Um, actually, before we go there, go to chapter 14. And in chapter 14 of Revelation... Um, this is kind of a, another parenthesis in the book of Revelation remember chapter 7 I said was a parenthesis it stops and hones in on something uh, chapter 14 does the same thing it brings up again 144,000 but this time 144,000 are not on earth anymore they're now in heaven Okay. Uh, so that's your first part of it and then also verse 6, you have this weird angel that's flying around having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. This is a very strange thing, okay? I mean, do we take this literally or do we say this is figurative? Because can we imagine angel, an angel flying around preaching to people? Um, well, you know, I, Revelation is full of such weird and catastrophic stuff. There's so many miracles going, you know, happening that um, I think it's perfectly feasible. There's so much supernatural stuff happening in the tribulation that in, in the midst of the demonic stuff that's going on, and then if you look at chapter 11, you've got Moses and Elijah... Uh, that they are doing these these incredible miracles as well, and you got all kinds of stuff going on. You got the Antichrist, and then you got the false prophet who's doing all of these miracles. It's a very supernaturalistic view. The scorpions going out and stinging people. You know, it's weird. It's a weird time. It's not like this. Okay. Um, one thing about the tribulation is that. The unseen realm, mainly the demonic realm, 
that the supernatural realm that is part of the biblical worldview becomes evident, actually starts interacting with the physical world. Okay? And that's what Revelation speaks about. It talks about signs and wonders and all these other weird things that are going on, as well as all these supernatural judgments that are coming down from heaven. And um, so, yeah, it looks as though this angel is flying around preaching to people. Well, what's the everlasting gospel, you might ask? Verse 7 tells you, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. That's a very straightforward message, is it not? God is the creator of the world. The hour of his judgment has come, which this means then this is the culmination of stuff. So what chapter 14 I think is doing is it's, it's right at the end of the tribulation. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. And it's telling you, you know, wait for God himself is going to come and judge, which happens at the second coming. Uh, so that's what's going on. God is the creator. And then it says, verse 8, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. That great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There's obviously um, figurative language there. She's pictured as a woman. But it's a city. And we understand, don't we, uh, what's being spoken of here. So Babylon is brought up here uh, just for a, a little bit. And then it says, A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Um, this is not a study on the book of Revelation, but... Um, It's, um, it appears that, that this vengeance that's going, uh, that's against these people, okay, is because of all of, of the things that they have done. The things that they have done. The, the horrible wickedness that they've been involved with. And this is God's judgment on them. This is not necessarily a passage that can be applied to every person that is unsaved. I don't think that that's true. It does, it, it does, I'm not denying hell. I'm just saying this passage is not necessarily to be applied to every single unsaved person because this seems to apply to those that have received the mark. Do you see that? that it picks them out in particular. So... You can make of that what you want. It might be universal, but it, it, it does seem to kind of hone in on those people because 
of the wickedness and so on, which is spoken about also in uh, particularly chapter 16, which we're going to have a look at. All right, so there's Babylon mentioned. Now go to chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Well, that's obviously chapter 14. That gives you back to Babylon there. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. See that? And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Uh, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of of her fornication. There is another woman that is depicted in uh, the the book of Revelation in chapter 12. That's Israel. Okay, this one is a is a a different woman altogether. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And so that's the name. Now, the name doesn't tell us anything apart from what it says. Okay, you can't just because the word mysteries up there doesn't mean that you you're. That's a kind of a green light for you to go into wild speculations. Just stay with what it's saying for the time being. And I saw the woman, look, drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Well, um, this is not a literal woman. According to chapter 14, it's a city. Okay? Cities are... Uh, full of people it's the people that are committing this maybe the politicians too and the people of power who are um, going after the saints of Jesus but the angel said to me why do you marvel I will tell you the mystery of the woman well that's very helpful and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns Okay, the beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Okay. You say, well, thanks for that. What's that mean? Can you explain that to me? There's no need. There's no need, because the book of Revelation has already explained it to you. Okay? Now, not completely, not completely, but has explained it to you. So at this point, I want to start rubbing stuff off. Can I do that? All right. Okay. We'll keep kingdom up there because we're going to talk about that mainly in the second part of the presentation tonight. But in this in this one we have uh, Babylon, okay, 
and then he's going to explain, first of all, the beast that she's riding. Remember, this is a picture, it's, a, it's symbolic, but it's going to be explained as much as we need explaining, all right? Now, I think during, at the time, this is going to be quite clear. But there's enough here for anybody who even if is, doesn't go through this is going to be able to get something out of this. They're going to understand this. So, let's have a look. The first thing that's going to be spoken about is the beast, verse 8, okay? So, you have Babylon and you have the beast, all right? Babylon's riding the beast, Yes? <coughs> All right, the beast. Uh, there are three things, no, four things, sorry, that are said about the beast. The beast that you saw was, is not, shall ascend. From uh, the BP, known as the bottomless pit, okay, and shall go into perdition or destruction, okay. So there are your clues. Where have you been told anything about? beast like this. Well, you haven't been told about this so much or this so much, but you have been told about some, someone who ascends out of the bottomless pit. That's in chapter 9. Okay, so look at chapter 9. Verse 1, chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him, so the star's not a literal star, okay? A star is an angel, like the angels, the stars that were in the palm of Jesus in the first three chapters of Revelation, okay? Uh, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came forth upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and so on. They go around stinging people, um, tormenting people. Um, <clears throat> and it says, uh, describing them, and it says in verse 11, and they had a, as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Do you see that? Whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Alright? Do any of you have a note about the meaning of the name in your study Bibles there? Destroyer, yeah, or destruction, yes? Do you have that? Okay. Alright, so perdition... The same word here is destruction, okay? So maybe this ties in someone, he's, he, he's got a name that's called destruction. And remember that in the Bible, names are not given randomly, okay? 
So you wouldn't expect the angel at the bottom of the pit to come out and be called Bert. Do you see? Because that's got nothing to do with what he's, his occupation, what he's about. You would expect him to have a name that fits something about his character. All right, destroyer, and he's going to destruction. Do you see? That's the name that's been given to him. Um, and he's, he ascends out of the bottomless pit. So, this angel of the bottomless pit is the beast. Do you see that? Now, what's this was and is not? We'll keep reading. <coughs> um, try reading in the right place, Paul. And so, chapter 17 again. And uh, verse 8 the beast that you saw was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition and those who dwell on the earth will marvel in an amazed way whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world and they will see the beast that was and is not and yet is okay You've got that? Okay, so you're given a little bit more information. He was, is not, and then yet is. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? <coughs> but what were we told last week about uh, the, the beast in chapter 13? He had a deadly wound that was healed. Yes, and then, yeah, he came back to life. That's, it's a, probably an allusion to that. Was, is not, and then yet is. Okay? That kind of a way of saying that he lived, he died, and he's alive again. Okay? It could have a more sinister uh, implication than that, um, which I've always found attractive and somewhat disturbing. <laughs> Alright, which I'll go into in a minute. It is, it's speculative, but it's not overly speculative. And, um, you know, when I, I talk about it, I've talked about it before, but uh, we'll t- when I talk about it, you might kind of understand that uh, there's something to it. But anyway, um, It it continues here, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, Babylon, the city of Babylon, is not built on any mountains. Alright? So, are the mountains mountains? I think they probably are mountains. I'm just... I'm not sure what to do with this, which is why people have identified this as Rome, okay, which is built on seven hills, okay, which is a possibility. I think you have to open that up, although um, what comes next is more clear. There are also seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. 
And when he comes, he must continue a short time. That's a very strange thing. I've, I've no idea what that means, apart from what it says. But it'll be clear to the people that it needs to be clear to. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. Okay, so you have uh, you have this kind of arrangement in Daniel. Okay, you have ten kings, you have three displaced by the little horn, so he's the eighth. Do you see? So it's possible that that's talking about the same person there. But look at what it says. It says he's of the seven and he's going to perdition. So there's your definition again of uh, of the name. <clears throat> the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Now there's your uh, that, there's your Daniel tie-in. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Um, so it appears as though there's a there's a, a power, uh, at least a, a kind of a, uh, a coalition going on there. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So there's a coalition of leaders or kings that uh, give their allegiance to the beast. That he appears, therefore, to be a world ruler. Do you see? So if you take that back to uh, the picture in chapter 13, you have, you have the, um, the, the arrival of this individual and you have the, the false prophet who points to him and say, worship him. He makes an image which speaks. You have this, um, you have this, uh, uh, the mark that's going on and the number of his names, you can't buy or sell unless you have this number of this guy's name and so on. And so, it appears that what's being told you here is that before that happens, the way that this man gets into power is that there's a coalition of ten rulers or ten kings that put him into power. Do you see that? Now, um, my belief is that this happens in the east, in the, in the Near East. We shouldn't be looking worldwide. We shouldn't be looking for a king over in America and in China and Japan and, you know, Burma and, and so on, South Africa, who are going to do this. We need to look in the biblical world. And in the biblical world, there's a coalition of ten kings or ten rulers in that area, which is uh, basically the eastern part of the old Roman Empire, uh, that will give this man their power. So that's where it, that's where it kind of hones up, hones in at. That's how he comes to power, and uh, you know later, of course, he he uh, does away with uh, with them or with some of them. So. This guy, obviously, he's, he's kind of a supernatural guy. Um, he's a strange guy because he comes out of a place where he was locked up. Okay? Which is very odd. It's very odd, folks. 
Now he's a man according to um, chapter 13, last verse there. So he's a man who's locked up and he's, he's also an angel. Now angels, by the way, what do they appear as in the Bible? Men. They always appear as men, okay? So he's a man <laughs> um, and he's the angel of the bottomless pit and he's not a really nice guy and he's called perdition and he was and is not and yet shall be or shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. You see how that is worded? Um, it's possible that that is the, the, the Antichrist who, and I'm perfectly okay with this interpretation, as I said, who is in the future, and this is a reference to him dying, uh, or living, dying, and then rising again. But there's also another individual in the Bible that comes really close to this. I mean, scarily close to this. And that's Judas Iscariot. Okay? Because if you'll go to Acts chapter 1, there's all kinds of weird stuff said about Judas Iscariot. Okay? Weird stuff. Um, Acts chapter 1. And you can, by the way, this is, this is not the main thing here. I'm, I'm digressing here. I'm having a bit of fun. But, uh, but there, there is something serious about this too, which I just, it's just, it's always fascinated me, this, this material, okay? And, uh, it doesn't mean it, it amounts to anything, but it's interesting. Uh, Acts chapter 1. And um, remember that, that uh, they need to, to uh, choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Yeah? And uh, look at verse uh, 24, Acts 1. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Okay? Um, Joseph or Matthias to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place you see that? that's a weird thing to say that he might go to his own place why didn't he just say that he might go you know to destruction or, or, you know, why say that? That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Isn't it? You say, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. All right, fair enough. Okay, so go to John 6. <clears throat> so John 6, you know that uh, all these people are following Jesus around and then they all go back from him. And verse 67, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that you are, and know, sorry, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? 
He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Now, the word that's used here, that Jesus uses, is this word. He uses the word diabolos. Okay? He doesn't use the word daemon, which is normally the, the word that's translated devil. He uses that word there. Okay? Not the devil, but a devil. Okay? Is a, one of you is a diabolos. Now, he could be speaking figuratively. Just so, you know, one of you is a wretch, you know? We've, we use the term that way too, somewhat. Not, we used to use it more than we do nowadays. But, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's possible too, yes? Alright? Okay, but, um, uh, go to John 17. Jesus' priestly prayer. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about Judas. What's he call him? The son of destruction or the son of perdition. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. And so the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the only two times in the Bible that that's used, that name. Is it just a coincidence that Paul talks about the Antichrist as the son of perdition and he uses the same terminology as Jesus did of Judas Iscariot? Here's the weird thing. The beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, who is the king of that place, okay, was, is not, and shall be. Now, John is writing in AD 95, AD 96. Okay? Judas was, but he is not at that time that John is writing. But shall be. Do you see? Now that fits. I'm not saying it's him. I'm just saying it fits. And then you've got this other stuff. Judas Iscariot, his name. Iscariot means man of Kerioth. Okay? Man of Kerioth. Ish, man. Uh, Kerioth. Um, Kerioth is in, um, is in uh, Moab. Okay? The Bible doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about Moab <laughs> at all. <coughs> so, he's a, he's a man of, of, uh, of Moab. He's, he's a man that comes from uh, 
the, the Jordan area or Syria, somewhere like that, do you see? So he's not, he doesn't come from Israel, but he, uh, he's, he's kind of close to it, do you see? Um, all of this, if you, you put this kind of stuff together, you know, the devil entered him and, and so on. Um, we, we don't know much about Judas at all. But this stuff just kind of, he, 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 he tends to pull these verses to him, do you see? That's all I'm saying. You, 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 know, you can't do this with anybody else in the Bible, folks. You can't. Okay? I mean, you do it with Jesus with verses that, that pertain to him, okay? But uh, this is, uh, as far as I know, this is the only other guy that you can do this kind of stuff with. So he's just odd. That's all I'm saying. He's odd. And uh, um, he is... Uh, you know, he went to his own place. Does that possibly mean that his own place is the bottomless pit? I don't know. You know, or, I mean, it's, it's your own choice. It, the own, his own place can mean that he went to hell, yes? Or he went to some place, or he went to the bottomless pit, yes? Um, and then he's called Diabolos, by Jesus himself, okay? Why, would, why on earth would Jesus say that? Okay? I've chosen you twelve, but I know that one of you is a diabolos. Okay? Um, again, does he mean one of you is a bad guy? Or does he mean one of you is demonic. Now, there's, only, you know, there's only one of the two things that he can mean. Yes? And then he's called the son of perdition, but Paul calls the, son of, the Antichrist the son of perdition or lawlessness. Okay? In Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And then the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit is the uh, angel of the bottomless pit, and he was and is not, and yet shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and guess what? He's linked with perdition. It's, it's, you say, well, that's not conclusive. I know it's not conclusive. It's just interesting. Okay? It's just interesting. And you can, do, you can dismiss it completely. Um, you say, are you going to teach that as doctrine? No, I'm absolutely not teaching it as doctrine. I just don't think that that's a coincidence. I don't. Uh, it, it's bugged me for years. You know, I, 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 why? Why do these things fit together? What's, what, why this weird stuff in Revelation about was, is, not, and shall be? Yes? What's going on? It's like, the, it's like you're supposed to be clued in to this. You know, it's like the, there's, there's some stuff that you, that's there available to you. So I don't know. Let's uh, keep going in Revelation 17 on something where, you know, where we're a bit more solid ground than this, okay? But remember, Babylon and the beast is what we were dealing with, and here's the beast. This is why I included this stuff. All right? 
Um, and it uh, it continues and talks about the the these will make war. Verse fourteen with the Lamb, the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's the second coming title uh, that He's given. So this is when that happens. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. So that's the saints coming with Him in chapter nineteen. Um, then He said to me, "The waters which you saw." Where the harlot sits are not waters. They're peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. Okay? They're peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. And the the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Well, who's the harlot? The harlot seems to be the city. Yes? For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Um, That's very, very interesting. It says, the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So the woman is a city. Yeah? Yeah? It's, the city's called Babylon. So I believe the city's Babylon, folks. You know, call me stupid. Now, I do, I do know about the, the mountains. The mountains gives me pause. Okay? It gives me pause. And uh, I know that, that mountains sometimes speaks of, of power and so on, but I, I don't think that's the case here in Revelation 17. Because it's not explained, that, that, you know, that the mountains are not call something else, I think they're mountains. So I don't know what to do with that. Alright? Chapter 18. And it talks about, again, Babylon. Yes? Is fallen, is fallen. So this is definitely um, the place that was described in chapter 14. The city. Yes? This is why I think it's Babylon. I just, I don't get I can't put everything together. I can't get put those mountains together. I don't know what to do with that. Um, but um, it's become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It seems as though God's going to make Babylon a prison for the demonic. And all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So this is the, a very rich city. And uh, it continues and it says in verse 7 that uh, she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. Do you see that? So all this nasty stuff's going on in the tribulation, especially the second half of the tribulation, but there's one place where it's not going on. There's one place where they're living quite luxuriously. And maybe also those places that are impacted, those cities and those places that are impacted by the commerce and the trade of this uh, city, which means that there are people that are doing very well, thank you very much. There's not you know, a lot of nasty stuff going on, but they're living okay. Just... Like in the Great Depression, you know, there were people that were, you know, scrounging around. You had, what was it, 
I'm not sure what the um, unemployment rate was. It was ridiculous, like 20% or something. It was ridiculous. Um, but you had other people that were making a, you know, doing very well, thank you very much. Uh, they're making a mint out of it. And that's always the way. That's why that you have uh, in, uh, in Revelation uh, 6, you remember, they're charging all of this money for bread and for basic foodstuffs, but don't touch the oil or the wine. That's the good stuff. Okay? The rich people have that. That's this kind of that intimation, yes? <clears throat> so there's this place that is doing very well. I think because of the influence of this place and the, and the ones that, that are, the cities and the places that are uh, impacted by the trade with Babylon, that's why Jesus says at the end of uh, chapter 24, he says that, you know, it will be that people will be marrying and giving him, giving him marriage and so on. Things will be going on just normally. He's not, he's not saying, because he just talked about a whole bunch of nasty stuff that's going on, but he's not, he's not saying that, that everything's fantastic, but he is saying that people are just going on with their lives, doing everyday stuff. Yeah, other people are getting hunted down and killed. Other people are starving, but for a, a lot of people, they've got the mark, they're doing okay, thanks very much. That appears to be the picture. Maybe I've got it wrong, but that's, that's what I get out of it. Okay, so, so we have the, a literal city Babylon and we have the beast. I, I just thought we needed to, to understand that. Um, on this thing... Again, I don't know, I'm not a prognosticator, I hate doing newspaper exegesis, so I, it just wouldn't surprise me that, that um, the powers that be in the United Nations get really fed up with America and say, look, we don't, we don't we're going to move the United Nations somewhere else. We, it, you know, America, you've got too much power, you know, and we don't want the United Nations there. It needs to be over... In the Middle East, maybe somewhere. Okay, let's let's build a city for it. Okay, let's 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 put it in Babylon, maybe. Okay, I don't know, but you can envisage that, can't you? It's possible. Anyway, I just believe it's it's a literal Babylon, um, and it wouldn't take hardly anything. It wouldn't take any time at all to to. Uh, do that and to dredge the, the rivers and so on. We've got the uh, technology and so on to, to build this thing really quickly and uh, make it really something. <clears throat> All right. So that's, that's just a little bit extra. I thought I'd throw in there for you for entertainment value. And uh, so we've got the second coming of Christ, which, of course, ties in with the judgment of Babylon. All right. So, at the second coming of Christ, we have the kingdom, and as we saw last week, also Israel has all kinds of promises. So, what I want to move on to now is uh, the covenants, okay? I've said that I don't, I don't major on the dispensations, I do major on the biblical covenants, the divine covenants of God. And so, that's where I want to... Uh, Take the rest of the lesson here. Let me take a drink of water first.
Okay. So, the covenants of God. Of course, I, I taught three whole courses on this stuff. And uh, um, I, we need to edit them at some point. <laughs> some points just such a colossal task, but we need to get through those. Um, Mike is my is my film guy and is my editor and, and so on. And, uh, you know, he's I pay him a ridiculous retainer in order to keep his services. Um, so, you know, we, we have to kind of work as we can as we can work it. But Lord willing, we can uh, we can get that done in the not too distant future. <clears throat> How many covenants of God can you name? Let's see if we can rattle a few off. All right. So the covenants of God. All right. And we have here the Noahic. And I heard Abrahamic. I heard Davidic, yes? Hold on a minute. Davidic. I heard Mosaic. I heard Priestly. One, two, three, four, five. Any more? New. Thank you. Yes. As destroyed, though. Yeah, destroyed, but yeah. So I heard in, in National Geographic you talked about that they were, he had started rebuilding. He did. Are you, are you still on Babylon? I'm moving on. <laughs> All right. I got sucked in. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, so anyway, so we've got, we got these covenants, okay? Can you think of any more? Actually, you can't. Okay, you might think about the land covenant that you find in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Okay, it says that that is a covenant as uh, which is additional to the covenant that was uh, that was made with Abraham. But uh, it's really the same thing. It just offers the land again. Talks about the land. Um, if we'll just look at that real quick, Deuteronomy 29. Go there. And I, just so I can explain why I kind of lump it in with the Abrahamic. <clears throat> it's, uh, here's my view of this. And, and uh, it says, these are the covenants, these are the words of the covenant, sorry, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb, besides the, sorry, the, the, Moet, the, the Mosaic covenant. And it deals with the land. Um, it, it, because it deals with the land, it, but it's tied into the Mosaic covenant. And the reason that it's tied into the Mosaic covenant is that it tells them in fact, the previous chapter spells it out very clearly that they will get kicked out of the land if they don't obey. All right? 
So they made a, now God makes a covenant with them about the land, but it's tied into their obedience. All right. Now, in the Abrahamic covenant, the, the land is given to Abraham unconditionally. Okay. In the Mosaic covenant and in Deuteronomy 29, it's conditional. Although chapter 30, you'll see that it, it ties in again with the Abrahamic covenant and becomes unconditional when God regenerates them. Okay, it gives them a new heart. So that's why it, 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 it features the land, but what the Deuteronomy one does is it ties in the relationship between the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenant as far as uh, the nation and the land is concerned. Yeah? The Abrahamic covenant is, takes priority there, therefore, over that. Yeah? And that's very important to know because uh, when it comes to um, the land coming under judgment, they always go back to the hope that they have in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay, the Abrahamic covenant is, their, is the means of their hope. The Mosaic covenant is not the means of Israel's hope. Okay, the prophets do not appeal to the Mosaic covenant for hope. They, they talk to, they, sorry, they appeal to the Mosaic covenant to call people back to it as the standard as, of something that, that their ancestors agreed to and they, they're bound by. But, uh, but it's not their hope. All right. So here we are. We've got these uh, six covenants. And uh, really what we can do with these covenants is that uh, we can arrange them uh, more like this. Uh, um, I want another colour. <clears throat> we can put these five here and then we can put the new covenant here. This is what I like to do. All right? And there's a reason for that, which I think will become apparent. So, do you, uh, do you need me to go through all of these passages? Okay, or, or, or do you want me to just give you some of the uh, chapters and verses and then we'll, we'll move on? Question of trust here. <laughs> I don't mind going through them, but some of you already kind of know this stuff, all right? Um, you know, we need to look. I'm sorry, we need to look. Because I, I don't want to... I, I, I want to drive it home what God is saying rather than what Paul Henry is saying, okay? So, go to Genesis 9. <clears throat> Alright, so Genesis chapter 9, it's the, it's the Mosaic Covenant. It's, the whole thing really starts off with a preamble in the end of chapter 8, where God speaks to himself. <laughs> uh, when God s- speaks to himself after Noah's built the altar, or, you know, after he's come out, out of the ark, uh, it says, Verse 21, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, 
and day and night shall not cease. Please pay attention to that. Okay? What chapter were you in? 8.22. Genesis 8.22. So, while the earth remains, okay? Notice that. Seed time harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, that's the seasons and, and so on. Day and night shall not cease. He's going to set the, as it were, the seasons and the ordinances, they're going to be set. Okay? This is the uniformity of nature. After the, the uh, flood, things are going to be uniform from then on until uh, the end of history. Alright? So then you have uh, God speaking to Noah in chapter 9. And he says a bunch of stuff to him, okay, like you shall not eat flesh with its life that's, that is in its blood, verse 4. And, uh, you know, some kind of governmental stuff in verse 5, if you want to call it governmental stuff. It's really judicial stuff, juridical stuff, okay, not governmental. Um, but that's not part of the covenant. Okay? That's just in the address, okay? That's part of what God says. And then he says in verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Well, that's everybody. And with every chrysa, too. Uh, of all of, uh, that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Here's the covenant. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's, that's the oath right there. Okay? You see that? That's the oath right there. Uh, a covenant has got to be You've got to identify the oath. Okay? What is sworn? What is vowed or pledged? There might be some other stuff that's around it, but that doesn't mean it's part of the covenant. What is the thing that is particularly sworn? That's what the covenant is. Okay? And you can see it's very clear. What's the Noahic covenant about? The oath is about not bringing a universal flood upon the earth again. Alright? Are we, are we agreed on that? And then a token is given. Okay, a token of the covenant is given. That's the rainbow. Alright? The token is not the covenant itself. Sometimes these tokens okay, are spoken of as if they are covenants, but that's just uh, the way that language works sometimes. It's, uh, you know, it's using... Uh, kind of inclusive uh, terminology in order to just talk about uh, what the covenant, what that token signifies. Yes, it signifies an oath that was taken. So, the Noahic covenant is about a specific thing. Okay, here's a question for you. Okay, it's a yes or no answer. Is there anybody in this room that believes that God is going to bring a worldwide flood upon the earth again? No. Why not? So you believe that because God made an oath and a covenant not to do it, that he's not going to do it, yes? All right, so what's the covenant for? 
For what? It's for us. Okay? It's for us. Uh, it's, it's for us so that we'll believe him, yes? Couldn't God just say, I'm not going to bring a flood upon the earth again to Noah? He didn't have to involve himself in a covenant. He didn't need to put a token up there of the covenant oath. I mean, his yes is yes and his no is no. He's God. All he needs to say is, I'm not going to do it, yes? As far as God is concerned, it's as binding as any oath that he could take, yes? So why does he swear a covenant? Yes, we do. Yes, good teaching. And where did you get that from? We have, we have this position that I teach about a lot to not trust God. Okay, so what God is saying in these covenants, or at least in this one so far, because let's not get ahead of ourselves, is, I'm not going to bring a flood upon the earth again. Did you get that? Are you listening? That's what he's doing. It's plain speech about something specific and something extremely important, would you agree? But it's an amplification and the covenant amplifies it. Do you see? It's a loudspeaker saying, listen, pay attention. I'm serious here. Okay? Believe this. That's what the covenant is for. Alright? So, uh, you don't, in, in the Bible, you don't have people making covenants out, uh, over, um, you know, if I give you two sticks of my chewing gum, then you'll give me your lollipop. Okay? You don't have covenants over that. You have covenants over really important stuff. Yes? And when God makes a covenant, it's really, really important. You better pay attention. All right, so, if if there is no flood, and that no flood also envisages God's intent, which is given to you in 8.22, which is the uniformity of nature, basically. Yeah? (coughs) Where's me black? So, it's made with every creature. Please notice that. Every creature. So, no global flood. I don't need to put global in there. I mean, for half the Christian population I do because they don't believe in a worldwide flood. But uh, God will sort them out when they get to glory. Okay? About not believing God's covenant. Okay? Uh, so, no flood and also the uniformity. Of nature, okay? The Abrahamic covenant. So, chapter 12. We don't need to go very far to get these covenants because they're pretty close together. They're foundational. It's almost as though God you know, made a foundation here for the way that he's going to uh, deal with history. So, chapter 12. Now, this is not the covenant itself. This is God just telling him, telling Abraham what the deal is, okay? But it is, it, it informs the covenant. It's what the covenant's about, alright? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, that's in chapter 11, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, 
Okay? I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a bunch of stuff that's involved in this in this covenant, okay? The Abrahamic covenant is a very important covenant and it basically involves, as we'll see, it involves <coughs> land, it involves descendants. Uh, and then um, it involves, yes, yeah, blessing Two nations. Alright? Very important. Now, uh, other parts of... I think I spelt descendants wrong. should be an A there. Um, now, other parts of Genesis and so on are going to enlarge on these aspects. Okay? We'll just look at a few of them. Uh, so, if you want to look at chapter 15... Chapter 13, by the way, he, he goes through the land and he sh- shows him, you know, walk through the land, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And uh, chapter 15 uh, talks about the descendants, okay? And we all know this. Um, Abraham's wondering about his offspring. He's an old guy. His wife's an old gal. And, uh, you know, so is God literal in what he means or what? What's going on here? And so, verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and, the, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, you all know that passage. It's used by Paul in the New Testament. Okay? For justification by grace through faith. Yes? <coughs> no works. That's, that's your passage there. But that deals with the descendants, yes? There's your descendants bit, alright? Uh, then, uh, it goes on and it talks about the land, alright? In uh, verse 18, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, that's the descendants part, I have given this land, and then he describes the land. Alright? So there's your descendants and there's your, your land. The blessing to the nations hasn't been mentioned in chapter 15. But the first two parts are. So you understand those first two parts, yes? Uh, chapter 17, that's kind of important because... Um, <clears throat> He says, I'm going, to make, uh, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Verse 5, you see? My covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. So it changes his name. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham. So there's the third part of the covenant, yes? So we all clear on that one? And uh, chapter 18 goes on and talks about... Um, um, Sodom and Gomorrah and so on, 19. And 22 uh, talks about the, uh, is it going to be a sacrifice of Isaac, the offering of Isaac? And you know the story. 
And uh, verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Uh, That's an interesting thing, in your seed. It's not now in you but in your seed. And Paul takes that and he says that's a singular. Okay, in Galatians 3, 16, he says that's a singular and that's Christ. Okay, But notice the wording. It is kind of, he emphasizes the seed here. I know he's talked about descendants in the previous verse, but then, you know, he talks about uh, the seed and it appears that, that he meant one person. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So there's your, there's your Abrahamic covenant, okay? And this kind of stuff is repeated to Isaac, who is the child of the promise, child of the covenant, and uh, also to Jacob as well, who is renamed Israel. Alright? So that's the Abrahamic covenant, very important. So when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament and when you see it in the New Testament as well, that's referring back to this stuff, okay? Uh, good instance is Elijah at uh, Mount Carmel. When Elijah is there, he appeals to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, all right, to bring down fire from heaven. The God of the covenant, yeah? Not the Mosaic covenant, okay? He's going back to this foundational covenant here. So, then you've got the Davidic covenant and, and of course, uh, the Davidic covenant comes after the Mosaic covenant. So, let's do the Mosaic covenant next. You don't understand the Mosaic covenant, but if you go to <coughs> Exodus chapter 24, uh, you know, you've got the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 and then you've got a bunch of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. Um, and then, um, in the middle of chapter 24, you've got Moses, verse 6, took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant <coughs> excuse me, and read in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. What are they, what are they agreeing to? They're, they're agreeing to an oath. They're taking an oath. Okay? Abraham didn't take any, any oath. Noah didn't take any oath. Okay? But the peop, children of Israel are taking an oath. They're entering into the covenant themselves. It's not a one-sided covenant. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So, the Mosaic covenant is a bilateral covenant, not a unilateral covenant. In other words, it's not just God covenanting to do something, it's the people of Israel also covenanting. Of course, they, you know, they messed up real quick. 
So they broke the covenant. And it's because of this that the Mosaic covenant is uh, temporal. So the Mosaic covenant, it involves... Um, where's me black? It involves, okay, the nation of Israel, that's the descendants, but, but uh, we can call them Israel now, okay, because they've now got, got a name as a nation. Um, and it involves the land, okay, and blessings in the land. But it involves these two aspects of, um, of the Abrahamic covenant. And um, they didn't do very well. If they'd have done very well with these two things, they'd have also started to be a blessing to the nations, you see. Like in chapter 19 of Exodus, but they didn't. So this, this thing is either uh, like, well, put in suspension or, um, you know, well, what? How's this going to come through? That's that's the question that we have to ask. Because Israel, throughout the Old Testament, is not fit to do anything like this. Bless the nations. You see that? So that's the Mosaic Covenant, and it's temporary. Alright? So we have to kind of cordon this one off a little bit, because it has to be replaced. What does it have to be replaced with? The New Covenant, okay? The New Covenant. That's the book of Hebrews is very clear on that, okay? Alright, so the Davidic Covenant, okay? Now, the Davidic Covenant, you find it in Second uh, <clears throat> uh, Samuel chapter 7, you find it in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 17, I think it's Second Chronicles, yeah, Second Chronicles chapter 17, uh, but, but it's not called a covenant there. But it is called a covenant when it's referred to in the Psalms. Psalm 89 is a great place for the uh, Davidic covenant. Basically, if you want to understand the Davidic covenant, uh, a great place to go to. I'm not saying don't go to the Samuel and the Chronicles passages. They're very important. But uh, the thing that kind of sorts it out for you is Psalm 89. So... Uh, just look at that quickly. <clears throat> Psalm 89, alright. It's a long psalm, so obviously we're not going to go through the whole bunch. Okay, But note verse 3, I've made a covenant with my chosen, I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. That's basically the oath of the, Abraham, of the Davidic covenant. Okay? Yeah? Now it can be stated in different ways, but it's, and it is. But it's basically that. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne. There's your king. Uh, to all generations. And then uh, you've got other passages. Verse 4. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Um, verse 27. Also I will make him my firstborn... 
the highest of the kings of the earth. My, mer- my mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. All right? It says, his seed also will I make to endure forever as the throne of the days of heaven. That's on, uh, this is a general uh, prediction about the throne of David, but obviously Messiah is in view there somewhere. Uh, verse 34, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon even like the faithful witness in the sky. You you understand? God means what he says. The covenant means what it says. That's the oath there. Does David swear an oath? No, he doesn't. Now, because he's under the Mosaic covenant particularly, okay, when he's disobedient, trouble comes to him. And Solomon the same way. Okay? And eventually, the Davidic kings get judged because of the terms of the Mosaic Covenant. All right? Does that mean, and they're taken out of the, the land, because the land, because of Deuteronomy 29, is tied to this. So, because of that, does that mean that God no longer has to bring the Davidic Covenant and the, the oaths that he's sworn there to fruition? Of course not. Because this covenant with David is independent of this one. It's another covenant, do you see? Yeah? So it has to do with um, uh, a dynasty. Dynasty. Oh, come on. That's an N, that's an A, that's an S. Alright, dynasty. Alright, so the priestly covenant. The priestly covenant is in Numbers 25. And Numbers 25 that's when Phineas uh, gets the 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 uh, javelin and he comes through and he thrusts through uh the Israelite man and the Midianite woman is a Midianite Moabite Midianite somethingite woman okay and in doing that and having zeal for that he stops the plague that God had had uh given out there to Israel and God responds to him. So, Numbers 25. <clears throat> this is an important one, so don't, don't miss this, this covenant. So, Numbers 25, come on, Paul, get with it. Verse 12. Therefore I say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. That's talking about Phineas. There, verse 11. So... This has to do with an everlasting priesthood. Now, the Mosaic Covenant's already uh, involved here, but this is a covenant that's made independently of the Mosaic Covenant. Okay? And the Mosaic Covenant, remember, is temporary. It's going to be replaced. So, the priestly covenant has to do with an everlasting priesthood 
of Phineas. Phineas. Okay, Phineas. Right. Now, long story short, descendant of Phineas is Zadok. Okay? Zadok, the Zadokites. Um, but here's, here are the oaths that God has sworn. Okay, that's why we went through them, so we could locate what God has sworn to do. All right, now this is a pretty picture, is it not? God has, has unilaterally sworn everlasting covenants and to fulfill them unilaterally on these people. Now, um, they can, these people can mess up, okay, because they're human beings, they're sinners, they can mess up so they can kind of stop the timing of the fulfillment. But they cannot stop the eventual fulfillment. But here's the problem. We have a proclivity to mess up all the cotton picking time. So God's safe, isn't he? It's like, <coughs> it's like, uh, uh, me saying to all of you, I've got my title deed to my house here, okay? And you can have this. We, we'll make a covenant and you can have this, okay? You've just got to promise to live perfectly for the next week in your thoughts and in your actions. Okay, I'm, I'm safe, dude. I am safe. All right? I mean, providing I could investigate your thoughts, Okay? But I'm safe. I'm home free. I may as well not offer it. It's kind of a, you know, it's a pointless offer because the conditions are too high. You can't meet them. So is that what God's doing here? God's just kind of making covenants and, and going through all of this, this palaver uh, for things that he knows... They're not going to collect on it anyway, so I don't need to do this. I'm safe. I'm home free. You know, you have that idea of God. I don't think you do, do you? You know, God doesn't have to go through this rigmarole, okay? Unless He intends to actually do it, and He wants us to trust that He'll do it. That being the case, because God has committed to do this. There is something that God has to do in order for these things to be fulfilled. What is it? What does he have to do to us? He has to give us a new heart. Doesn't he? He has to stop us sinning, folks. Because if he doesn't stop us sinning, he doesn't have to fulfill anything. Yeah? Yeah? Enter the new covenant. Alright? Enter the new covenant. Now, it's only identified or called the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah is a, uh, like, pre-exilic, exilic prophet. So he's in the 6th century BC. Alright? He's a long time after numbers. Okay? He's 800 plus years after this thing Uh, but it's important to Jeremiah and and we know in Jeremiah 33 that he talks about well I can't resist I'm sorry I can't resist I've got to do this 
Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 37. All right, let's do this. So Jeremiah 33, you know this passage because I love this passage. I keep bringing you back to it. Verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing that I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. At this time, in Jeremiah's time, they were separated. In fact, Israel was so separated, they'd been taken off into captivity 150 years before by the Assyrians. But he mentions them. They're not gone to God. And of course, you know, not everybody in the northern kingdom was stupid. Okay? When they saw uh, Tiglath-Pileser and uh, uh, the other bloke, Shalmaneser and other guys, coming in with their vast armies, some of them thought it would be a good idea to go south. And say, oh, okay. It might be a good idea to go into... Judah. And so, lots of people from other tribes did that, okay? When they had opportunity to do that. So, the 12 tribes were preserved. Um, But, uh, it says, I'm going to do this. In those days, and at that time, I will cause to grow to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely and this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. What covenant is that? Okay. So God is going to do something about the Davidic covenant. Alright? So what should we have? What colour should we have? Let's have a nice green because green is my favourite colour. Green for go. So David gets a green light from God, okay, in, in uh, Jeremiah 33. When, when does he do this? Who's this king of, uh, you know, branch of righteousness? Who's that bloke? Okay, so, so when this guy shows up, okay, first or second coming though? Hmm... And it, well, let's, let's uh, read on here. Verse 18. Nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. What's that? Ah, uh, yeah. So, the priestly covenant gets a green light too. Alright. Verse 20. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there shall not be day and night in their season... What does that remind you of? No way, no way. No doesn't it? Ah, okay. So this, this one, not surprisingly, gets a green light. <coughs> um, then the covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sand of the sea measured. What's that a quotation from? Abrahamic, isn't it? From chapter 22 of Genesis. So here's the Abrahamic here. Alright? At least uh, there's the descendants bit of it. (coughs) Uh, So will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off? That's replacement theology. Okay? That's what he's taught. They teach this. Thus they have despised my people as, as if they should no more be a nation before them. That's what our millennialists and post-millennialists and historic premillennialists generally teach. They teach that Israel has no future hope as a nation. Thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with the day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servants, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and I will have mercy on them. So yeah, they're going into captivity, but they're going to return, folks. They're going to return and God is going to bless them. Why? Because he's made covenants that he's got to fulfill. That's why. Ezekiel. Alright, so Ezekiel 36 and 37. We should be able to do all of this in 37. Alright. Ezekiel 37. Verse 15. Again the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. So he's doing the same thing. Okay, God is reconciling the two groups. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you saying, will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah and with the one stick and they shall be one in my hand and the sticks on which you write, will be in your hand before their eyes. So that's great. God's going to do a magic trick. (laughs) You're going to join some sticks together. Then say that to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own Land, guys, there it is. Right, where is it? There. Boom. Okay. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and there shall be one... Uh, there will be one king, shall, sorry, one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore. By the way, king, 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 what, what, what uh, covenant's that? That's Davidic. Okay, right there, you see. Um, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. Well, how do you know? I mean, don't people have a tendency to defile themselves? 
How can God be sure about that? But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. Uh, They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary. What does he mean by that? Yes, in their midst forever, my tabernacle also shall be with them indeed. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So here we go with the priestly covenant. You see? Temple. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So the nations are being dealt with also and that's this part here. Blessing to the nations, okay? Yeah? I don't know, I, I did dynasty there. but that's, that's. So, all of these things are being fulfilled. But when are they being fulfilled? They're being fulfilled when this king of righteousness reigns. They're being fulfilled when the people of Israel are cleansed. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel. <clears throat> Verse uh, 26. No, no, we'll go from verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations forever. Uh, Sorry, wherever you went, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord. Thus uh, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, the nations will see Israel transformed, cleansed. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, bring you into your own land. This is not 1948, folks. Why? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. All right. This is, uh, this is the proof text for infant baptism. Let's just bypass that because it's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. It's cleansing from sin, folks. It's just a figure of speech. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them and you'll dwell in the land. (coughs) He's going to cleanse them from their sins. None of these covenants have what is necessary to fulfill them within their um, terms. None of them do. I put it to you that they need a salvation covenant. Okay? A salvation covenant. And so, 
Jeremiah 31. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Jeremiah 31. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Not the Mosaic covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be no their uh, they will be my people, excuse me, see? <coughs> He's going to save them. He's going to cleanse them from their sins. Alright? Now, that's where it's called the New Covenant, but let's go and look at some other places uh, where this is spoken of. Deuteronomy chapter 30. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, verse 5 uh, sorry verse 4 if any of you are driven out to the farthest part under heaven from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. This is what Ezekiel just said. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. <coughs> Uh, chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. I'll just read this if you just want me to read it, okay? Uh, just a little bit here. Um, he says here, verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's going to be a national repentance. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days... In the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. And then he says uh, in, uh, well, let's just read the, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. What covenant's that? It's not the Mosaic Covenant, it's the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay? And then verse uh, 39 and 40, Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Okay? Now, they didn't. They got thrown out of it. But there's a promise of regeneration. Do you see that? Isaiah. (coughs) 
I'm not going to the Psalms. There's a bunch of stuff in the Psalms, but we'll, we'll just uh, look in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 doesn't start off very well, but it ends pretty coolly. <coughs> Uh, there's a bit, a lot of complaining going on, okay, because of Israel's sin. The whole body's sick, okay? It's all festering sores, okay? Uh, but then, <clears throat> uh, after he's, he's gone and says, stop bringing all the sacrifices to me and so on, it doesn't mean anything. Then he says this, he kind of changes his tone. Uh, in verse 24, Therefore the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross (coughs) and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counsellors as at the beginning. Afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice. Chapter 1 of Isaiah. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness and so on and so forth. Okay? That's New Covenant languages. Language. Yeah? That's New Covenant language. Uh, chapter 2. The word of the Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house... What's the Lord's house? What's the Lord's house in the Old Testament? No, the Lord's house. The temple. Yes? Okay. Shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Okay? That's this. Yeah? And that's also this. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. All right. So, when's that ever happened? Never. So that's the kingdom. Do you see? That's the kingdom. But you notice that notice that you've got covenants being fulfilled, but you have a description of the earth that's different from today. There's no war. There's justice. There's judgment. If people have fallings out or or, or so on, it's decided by this king. Yeah, who rules in justice and judgment. <coughs> That's after the second coming. Alright. Chapter uh, minus, uh, chapter 11. We did this, I think, last week. So, uh, the guy who's the branch from Jesse, that's David, yes. He's from the Davidic covenant. Uh, Spirit of God is upon him. Uh, his delights in the fear of, his, of the Lord. He judges in righteousness and equity Um, the wolf dwells with the lamb the leopard lies down with the young goat and all that stuff Uh, that's peace in the animal kingdom 
Is there any covenant made with the animals? The Noahic covenant, isn't it? Okay, it's made with the animals. Now, the Noahic covenant doesn't say, oh, I'm going to make all the animals get on together. All right? But it is made with the animals. And so, if the Lord of creation comes back, and, and he's the Prince of Peace, according to uh, <coughs> uh, Isaiah 9, then maybe in the kingdom, because uh, God's covenant is interwoven with this covenant and with these other covenants, the animals who are part of one of those covenants are also affected. Do you see? All right. Look at uh, verse... Uh, 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's the nations being blessed. (coughs) Sorry, need some water. Alright, chapter... Let's see. Let's go to... 54, Isaiah 54. There's a couple of things here. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. This is a, uh, do not spare, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. This means, you know, um, I mean, it's time to expand. It's time for, you know, things are good. Okay? No fear here. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear. For you shall not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Do you see this? Your Redeemer. That's New Covenant language, folks. Alright? I can't go through all of these passages uh, for you because uh, there's just too many of them. Chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil. This is Second Coming language, folks to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which they did not look, you came down, the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has I seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. That's a confession, you see. And so, 
in chapter 65, thus says the Lord, verse 8, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob, and from Judah, an heir of my mountains, my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be full, uh, shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. Okay? Uh, some blessings for those that, uh, that seek the Lord. <clears throat> okay. Um, do you get the idea? This is, new co- this is the new covenant. Uh, the new covenant is the means of salvation and Isaiah 49 this is where we'll close tonight Isaiah 49 we've already looked at this but uh, it's important verse 3 he said to me you are my servant O Israel in whom I will be glorified Then I said, I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain, yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, okay, the nations, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. There's your salvation there. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, there's salvation as well, you see, their Holy One, to him who man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall also worship, <coughs> because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, he has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you, I will preserve you, <coughs> excuse me, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth and to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Alright? This is obviously messianic. Jesus uh, is a covenant, folks. A covenant of salvation. What is the covenant of salvation? The new covenant. Yes? Yes? Okay, now according to, um, so here's the new covenant, alright? The new covenant is a covenant of salvation. Not just of salvation, but also of restoration. (coughs) So you will find, although we'll probably have to look at it next week, you will find these two things brought together in many passages in the prophets. The land will be blessed. You know, Amos 9 is an example of that. Hosea 2, um, Micah 4. There's a bunch of uh, places that, that speak about 
not just salvation, but also the restoration of the land. Uh, you know, Zechariah speaks about it as well. <clears throat> so the New Covenant deals with that. All right. Um, in in uh, Jeremiah 31, this is very important. In Jeremiah 31, the New Covenant is made with Israel. That's repeated in the book of Hebrews. Okay. Longest Old Testament passage that's quoted in the New Testament. And uh, it deals with Israel and Judah. It has to do with the second coming of Christ. Okay? So the new covenant is made with Israel at the second coming coming of Christ. Quiz. Why would the new covenant be made with Israel at the second coming of Christ? Because they rejected him. And they still reject him. But they are going to be changed. Okay? Do you need to know the passage? You know, every eye will see him and, you know, they will weep and mourn and so on. It's in Zechariah, chapter 10, I think. Yeah, and uh, they're going to weep and mourn when they see Jesus coming again. Okay, there's going to be repentance uh, because he's their Messiah. But they don't accept him as their Messiah until the second coming. Okay, so therefore, the new covenant can't be made with them until the second coming. Do you see that? Does that make sense? All right. Meanwhile, folks, a new thing happens before the second coming. It's called the church. Okay, where God... Yes, he's, he's, for a time, put Israel aside. He's not dealing with Israel anymore. He's, he's kind of somewhat watching over them, but he's not dealing with Israel anymore, really. He's dealing with the church. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 11, Israel is kind of under a bit of a ban, you know. They are blinded. Yes? We'll, we'll look at the text. And he's dealing with the church now. Here's the question. If Jesus is a covenant of salvation, okay, and he's, he's called a covenant there in chapter 49 and chapter 42 of Isaiah, um, is it possible that the new covenant is made with the church? Is it possible? Someone said yes. They whispered it and they're right. How do you know that? Well, you know, you know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, folks. You know that every time you take communion. All right? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I lied. This is, that was not the last text that we were looking at. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know this passage, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Okay. The new covenant, the tokens of the new covenant are the 
bread and the wine or the grape juice, okay? His body. He is the new covenant. The tokens, okay, the tokens are the bread and the wine. But the, what do they betoken? They betoken him. It is death. He is the covenant, folks. Just as Isaiah said. Okay? Which is why he's called the mediator of the new covenant in the book of Hebrews. Yes, do you see that? Which is why in the book of Hebrews, also he's the covenant animal. Okay? That sacrifices himself, his own body. Not bulls and goats, but himself. Do you see that? He's the new covenant. So, yes, Jeremiah is talking about Israel. Jeremiah is not talking about the church. Why wouldn't Jeremiah talk about the church? Because he doesn't know about the church. He's an Old Testament prophet. The church isn't in the Old Testament. He wasn't given that revelation. According to Paul in Ephesians, the church is a new thing. And that revelation of the church is given to him, not to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah wouldn't know anything about it. So don't expect Jeremiah to say anything about the church. But just because Jeremiah doesn't say anything about the church doesn't mean that the new covenant's only made with Israel because Jeremiah just talks about Israel. Do you see this? It means that Jeremiah is correct that the new covenant will be made with Israel at the second coming, but it's already been made with believers in Jesus Christ now. And we celebrate it. And so Paul says, you're not under the law. Why aren't you under the law? Because we're under the new covenant. Do you see this? Now, here's the magic. But it's quarter to nine. Can you, have you got a few minutes? All right. So, uh, where's me thing? All right. So, salvation and restoration, okay? <clears throat> when Jesus returns, okay? That's his second coming here. We'll call it SC, okay? When Jesus returns, he sets up his kingdom, okay? But in order... He's made, God's made all these covenants. Okay? But what needs to happen to, the, to people in order for these covenants to come to fruition? They need to be cleansed. Otherwise they'll sin and God can't fulfill the covenants on them. Do you see? So they need to have an encounter with the new covenant who is Jesus when they have, when they have been cleansed and they've been given new hearts and so on, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah and so on, Deuteronomy 30, when that happens and they're under the new covenant, not the old covenant, and they're under Christ, not Moses as it were, then all of these different promises, we'll just wrap them all up like this, okay? they all come through the new covenant like this into the kingdom and folks they are all fulfilled literally why because there is nothing to stop them being fulfilled literally apart from your theology okay 
or of certain people's theology. But even that's not going to stop God from doing it. Because God has made oaths that he's going to do this. And the oaths don't change. Galatians, uh, two more, but, uh, no, one more. No, two more. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Um, Where is it? I'm looking for the oath. Men swear an oath. I should know. I should be able to get right to it. No. Here we are. Verse 15. I'm sorry. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. It's Galatians 3.15 Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Well, if it's only a man's covenant, you don't annul it and, and add to it. How much more is that the case with a divine covenant? You see, you cannot monkey around with divine covenants. They mean what they say. God wants you to trust him. That's why he's made the covenant. Hebrews chapter 6, and I promise you this is the last passage for tonight. We did, I think we looked at this, but Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. That's what the covenant's for. To settle disputes, to settle questions okay, about big stuff. Thus God determined, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, that's unchangeability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Oaths are not changeable. That's why he made one. And yet you've got a bunch of theologians around, New Testament theologians, who think that they can chop and change God's covenants. You can't do it. You can't do it. You fly right in the face of Scripture. You fly right in the face of what a covenant is. The covenants of God are the underbelly of the story of the whole Bible. Whatever agrees with them is biblical. Whatever disagrees with them, that's you and your theology and you better change it. Yes? That's me just being a little bit demonstrative. But, but that's, you know, that's what this means, folks, which means these covenants will be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled through the new covenant that's what the new covenant is for it guarantees these not this one because it replaces this one but it guarantees these which is why we know um, that um, there is a future for national Israel 
But folks, the hope is not in the dispensations. The hope and the whole eschatology and the whole movement is driven by the covenants, the divine covenants.